All right, yes, here we go. Welcome to week five of A Journey Home. Thank you, Kyle, for, for hosting that, that moment there. Can I just take a moment? I, I didn't know that whole thing with the cards was happening. Man, that, uh, that blesses me, even the thought that uh, our church, well, I get to serve at the kind of church that even thinks about such things. So thank you, Kyle. Thank you, church. We sure appreciate you. Hey, if you think back to, I think it was week two of our Journey Home small groups, uh, you were sitting in probably somebody's living room, and the prompt was, hey, tell us about your favorite present that you've ever received. There's always somebody in the group that over-spiritualizes it. Some guy says, well, my wife, my wife is the best gift I've ever received from God. Well, she's sitting right there. Yeah, brownie points, bonus points, that's great. But, you know, when that moment came to me in the group, my hand shot up. I like, I know exactly what the best present I ever received. Sixth grade, Red Rider BB guns are for chumps. I came down the stairs underneath the Christmas tree as I tore open the present, the paper, Crossman Air Rifle. It was one of those you pump it up like 50 times and it gets stronger with every time you pump it. Let me just say this, the neighborhood cats feared me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Those of you who are cat lovers, I'm just kidding. I didn't live in a neighborhood. The neighborhood cats feared me. Let me ask you this question. How good are you at receiving presents? Not just in childhood, but today. As we take this journey home together, today is all about receiving, and this is a pretty important question. How good are you at receiving? We're going to practice, exercise that muscle just a little bit today. If you're taking notes, you heard Kyle mention that on page 70. If you flip the page over there, I think there's a spot to take notes, white, blank pages. Write this down. Maybe you noticed the table that's up here behind me today. Let me just say this. There's a place at the table if, if you're willing to receive it. But you have to do some active work here at receiving. And this is not... <laughs> We're not naturally good at this, some of us. There may be some orphan tendencies that come up here, this whole muscle of receiving. By the way, if you have not yet had a chance to receive the prayer experience, you heard Kyle talk about that just a minute ago. I got a message yesterday from one of y'all basically saying, hey, listen, this was so good. This blessed me. And then he went on to say, some of my friends aren't doing this. They're going to miss out on a moment with God. I agree with him. If you have not yet done that, I think it's open today from 2 to 9 p.m. And then in theater speak, I think it goes dark at 9 p.m. It's right down here. We're going to walk in door number two between 2 and 9 Make Make it happen. Come back. Spend some time just soaking up being with God and spend some time receiving. If you're new today, let me catch you up real quick. If this is your first time here joining us at Venture, we're in this six-week series, and uh, I'll catch you up real quick. Week one. Week one, we called it the promise of home, and we looked at this idea that the whole Bible tells this story that uh, we're separated from God, our first parents, Adam and Eve. And we've kind of lived as orphans, and the whole rest of the Bible is God's people trying to get back to him, and God is reaching out to his people. These orphan tendencies that sneak up, we want to be careful not to live in those. Week two was all about this idea of knowing your dad. Do you know your dad? What are some of the common misconceptions about the identity of your heavenly father? Week three was all about trusting. Trust your dad. 
This whole thing boils down to trusting. Will I trust God to be who he says he is? Week four, last week, was all about this idea of returning home. We had a moment in the service where you came up and you grabbed a key. We turned the corner from being latchkey kids and leaning into a moment where our God loves us. We confessed some things and we returned home. Today, week five. Is all about a place at the table. And we're asking the question, how are you doing at living at home? This week is about receiving. How good are you at living at home? There's some table imagery. We're going to explore some of the table imagery that's all through the Bible. And here's what I want you to walk out today knowing. That God's desire for you is to come home and to receive your identity and to live in your identity as a treasured child. I can't help but go autobiographical with this. I've told, if you've been around here for a while, I've told this story before, but I think it bears repeating. We have five kids. One of them is homegrown. Four of them are adopted. And we've been talking through this series about this idea of orphan tendencies. I'll never forget August 1st, 2006. August 1st, 2006. Actually, every day since then or every year on August 1st, we celebrate a day we call Gotcha Day because it's the day we gotcha our kids. The four that we got to adopt, we got to stand in front of a judge and we got to sign some papers and make some solemn promises and then we went out to like Chuck E. Cheese afterwards. We went to Build-A-Bear Workshop. We showered them with gifts. And then just about a week later, we threw a giant party We invited the whole neighborhood. We invited friends that lived two, three states over to come over. We rented like a bounce house, and we we had this incredible celebration to celebrate Gotcha Day. And that afternoon on our back porch, we took the four kids and then the fifth as well because he's a part of this deal, and we prayed over them, spoke a blessing over them. We gotcha. You're ours. We chose you. And every year on that date, ever since, there's a table in our house in our dining room, and we decorate it with the same poster boards that we put up at that party. It's kind of a tradition that we have. I've got some pictures here. I'll show you. Actually, here's some pictures of my kids. Let's go back real quick if you didn't see it. Aren't they cute during that era? <laughs> cute kids. These are the, uh, the poster boards that we put up every year. Jake's our sunshine. We've got another one here. We've got a Jordan is our clown. Kimmy is the princess. Micah, superhero, Eric, soldier. We saw these things in them and we called them out and we prayed over them and we spoke some promises over them. I told you, week one of this series, Dawn and I and three of our adopted kids were on a trip not too long ago and I went into the gas station and I got some Diet Coke because that's Dawn's love language and I brought it out and I gave it to her. We were kind of being silly and she turned around to the back, uh, the kids in the back of the van and she said, oh, look at this, he loves me more. Because he chose me, and then she stopped, and there was kind of a moment. We all started laughing. Well, I guess he chose you as well. Because you see, all three of those kids, they're adopted kids. We did, in fact, choose them. We knew them. We saw their identity, and we chose them. Do you ever stop and think about the truth? That your heavenly Father, he chose you. He chose you. Look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 1. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for the spiritual blessings that Christ has brought, brought, brought us from heaven. Before the world was created, God had Christ choose us to live with him and to be his holy and innocent and loving people. 
God was kind and decided that Christ would choose us, there's that word again, to be God's own, here's the phrase, adopted kids. God was very kind to us because of the son he dearly loves, and so we should praise God. Christ sacrificed his life's blood to set us free, which means that our sins are now forgiven. Christ did this because God was so kind to us. The gospel message, and woven through it, our piece of that is he chose you. He chose me. There's this dividing line. In the journey home between receiving and earning. Earning your place at the table. Some of us think that we still have to earn the ability to have a seat over there. It doesn't work that way. God wants you to receive the table. John chapter 1 verse 11 says it this way, He, Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right. I love that phrase. Legal language here, right to become the children of God. Children not born of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. We've been adopted into God's family, and there's a seat here at the table for us. But we have to receive it. If you're taking notes, write this true statement down. Receiving is how we experience being at home. Receiving is how we experience this whole thing. How good are you at receiving? Well, let's just find out, shall we? Turn to page 70. If you're taking notes, you're just going to come back, I think, one page there. And let's work through these, these questions right here. On a scale from 1 to 5, how good are you at receiving? Grab a pen Spend a little time right now circling one of these. Scale of one to five, how good are you at receiving a present? And I'm not talking about the Crossman Air Rifle when you were a kid. I'm talking about right now as an adult who maybe wrestles with some orphan tendencies. Maybe you're not particularly good at receiving a gift. Are you good at it? Number five, circle that. I love it. Number one, I don't want anything. How good are you at receiving a present? How about a compliment? Scale of one to five, how good are you? Thank you for saying so. Number five, this is something that I've had to learn. I, I, I preach, I, I get up in front of people and talk, and sometimes people come up and say, great message, pastor. And I, they're, early on, I, I, I wasn't good at that. I, oh, oh, thank you. I've had to lean into that. I've had to lean in to learn how to just receive a compliment. This takes some work. Sometimes our orphan tendencies come out here. How about compassion? I seriously learned this morning the whole idea of Pastor Appreciation Month and the notes that uh, Kyle was asking you to write. And my gut reaction to that is, oh, no, 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 let's not, let's not do that. I'm not good at receiving gifts. This triggers some orphan tendencies inside of me. This is something I think God's calling me to work on even this week. How about help? How good are you at receiving help? Go ahead and circle that one to five. Advice. How good are you at receiving advice? And then take that work that you're doing right there. By the way, if you don't have one of these journals, it's probably in the handout or it is in the handout that you received at the door. Take that work, move it over to the next page, and if you ended up with any threes or twos or ones, just spend some time working through that. Why is it? Why is it that we have a hard time receiving? Because receiving is how we experience being at home with God. 
Receiving is the only posture through which you can come to the table. You can't earn your way here. You can't independently get your way here. But as you receive it, here's the beautiful thing about receiving. God always has more to give. There's plenty at the table. There's more, and he's willing to give it. Last week, we made some confessions. Last week, uh, we came up and we grabbed a key. We stopped being latchkey kids, but we made some confessions, some things that we were going to change, we were going to do better on. It was a part of our communion time last week. And I bet that some of us last week, those confessions that we made, those solemn promises that we made this past week, we went back on them. We messed up. And if you're anything like me, you probably start wondering, wait a minute, does God have a limit to his love? Does God stop pouring out the blessings at the table? Last week we talked about the prodigal son. Actually, remember, it's the tale of two sons, a father with two sons. You've got the younger son. You've got the older son. They both wrestle with this idea of connecting with the father. The prodigal son comes home. He confesses. The father says, welcome home, my child. You ever wonder, though, what about the morning after? I mean, the night before, there's a big old party. They kill the fatted calf. I'm guessing they ate brisket. But the next morning, when he woke up, did he wrestle with some of that shame all over again? I bet he did. And the older son as well, when he finally confessed his hard-heartedness, and the father said, welcome home, son. How about the morning after that confession? Do you ever wonder about that? I do. If you're joining us from a distance today, uh, I'm sorry, you're getting ready to miss out on a multi-sensory experience. I, uh, I kind of was a little bit hard. I felt guilty last week on pigs. I spent a little bit too much time, I think, talking about how pigs have get, gotten a bad rap. And I told you that I worked on a hog farm, and um, I, uh, you know, 10 years after working on that farm, oh, yeah, that's a good one. You don't sell the steak, right? You sell the sizzle. Those of you who are joining us from a distance, you're going to miss out on the multi-sensory experience that the front few rows, anyway, are going to get today. Because I mentioned it last week, but it bears repeating that uh, there is a redeeming quality to pigs. Remember, I put the pictures up there of the pig blowing, blowing this uh, stuff out of his snout. Pigs are nasty. They stink even 10 years later. But the redeeming quality of pigs... Is, is bacon, right? Which begs this whole question. It's a theological question. Will there be bacon in heaven? I mean, if you think about it, there's like 613 rules in the Old Testament. People in Jesus' day didn't eat pigs. Uh, I told you last week that when they excavate these sites in the Holy Land, they find out whether or not it was a Jewish city or a Gentile city by whether or not there's pig bones found there. But Jesus, I read Revelation, he says, behold, I make all things new. I think Jesus redeems bacon. And I think that in heaven, when we gather with our family in heaven, I think breakfast in heaven's going to have bacon. In my opinion, I think that I'm going to get to sit down at the table with Moses, and I'm going get to get to watch him kind of brush some of that bacon grease out of his beard because I think he's going to get to taste bacon in heaven. Are you hungry yet? The night after, 
The night after, the day after, the morning after, the prodigal son returns home. Get comfortable right now. Check this out. You start to wake up from the best night's sleep of your life. And it takes a second to remember where you are. You keep your eyes closed, trying to remember. Then it comes back to you. Last night, you came home. Was that all just a dream? And then everything floods back. How scared you were to return. How ashamed. How unworthy. But when your dad saw you coming, he ran to you and gathered you in his arms, nearly crushing you in his embrace. You had been living as an orphan for so long, you had forgotten what it felt like to be loved. But he welcomed you home like a treasured child. Then he laid the most lavish table and threw a party in your honor. Even though you didn't deserve it, all was forgiven. You keep your eyes closed, reliving those moments, not wanting to wake up. But then you remember all the things you've done, all the ways you've wronged him. No one could really forgive all that, could they? You listen and realize the house is so quiet now. Too quiet. The calm before the storm. You know your father must be furious now that he's had time to sleep on it. You would be. You imagine him up all night, getting angrier and angrier. You feel sure the punishment you deserve will be waiting for you downstairs. Panic pills in your chest and you squeeze your eyes shut tighter. You want to grab your stuff and bolt for the window and not have to face him. But you know you have nowhere to run. So you steal yourself for the inevitable. You start to ready comebacks and excuses, practicing your I'm sorry speech. Maybe you can still convince him to let you hang around as a hired hand. Anything would be better than the life you left behind. You open your eyes. Something is tied to the foot of your bed. It's a letter. A love letter. His love. The love of God for you. Is written everywhere.
chosen you to be part of the holy family I love. My home is now with you. I'm going to live with you and you with me. Even if you walk out again, I'll never give up on you. I created you just by speaking, and you, out of all creation, are my prized possession, my masterpiece. chase you down with goodness and mercy all the days of your life, and you will live with me in my house forever. Welcome home. My table is laid for you, and there is a banner always hanging in your honor. It says love.
Yes. Hey, can we just applaud for the truth that's found in that video? Yeah. Moment just to say thank you, God. Thank you for the good gifts. The morning after, the morning after the prodigal son returns home, there's nothing quite like waking up to the smell of bacon, is there? Welcome home. Breakfast with all the trimmings are the best. That's how God feels about you. Every word that we just saw there on those pages of Scripture, God's love letter to you, every one of those is truth. And it comes from Scripture. Here's the deal. There's a place at the table for you. When you come to the table, when you come needy, when you come saying, forgive me, Jesus, save me, God says, I'm willing to give you everything you need. But he's also saying, will you receive Will you reach out and receive it? I want you to know today that the table is here. It's set for you. And he's asking the question, when you trust in the Father's love, I want to share with you what the table provides. If you're taking notes, there's three things I want to share with you here real quick of what we receive at the table. There's a whole lot more, but I don't have time to talk more about more than three right now. Here's what we receive at the table. We receive the Father's presence. The Father's presence. I'm thinking about an image. I've seen it. I bet you've seen it as well. You could Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. That Norman Rockwell print or painting, whatever it is. There's the Father, and he's carving a turkey, and all the family is around the table, and they're looking at the Father, and there's a moment there. This is the table that I see prepared for us, for you and me, God's dearly loved adopted children. This is a picture of our Heavenly Father. Who's not distracted at the table with his iPhone? He's not distracted with buying and selling or answering emails or whatever, social media. No, no, he's engaged when my kids were little. We used to play this game called Best and Worst. Anybody else play this game? You come home from school, what was the best thing that happened? What was the worst thing that happened? This is a picture of the Father, his presence. He's leaning in. He's listening. I hear you. That was not good. Oh, I'm sorry that happened to you today. Oh, that's really cool. I love hearing that story. Tell me more details about that. I couldn't help but thinking. I go to a place thinking like a father. I told you I'm an adoptive father, and I love each one of them maybe differently and the same. Week one, I told you a story about one of our kids, our oldest adopted child. When he came to live in our home, he spent the first couple of days hanging out underneath a table. It was actually underneath the piano. We had to coax him out. This is kind of the way we started the path with our kiddos. I've got a picture of him from that era. Isn't this about the cutest picture you've ever seen? We found this turtle in the backyard the first time that came to stay with us. We named it Tiny Tim, and we just enjoyed that moment of bonding together. I snapped that photo. Eric's in college now. But I was scrolling through my pictures the other day. I don't know if you know this or you do this, but uh, last week I said, God has a photo of you in his wallet. I got home and Dawn reminded me that that's kind of a dated reference. We don't do that anymore now that we have smartphones. I actually have a folder in my smartphone. I've got it labeled family, and every once in a while I just scroll through pictures that are in there, including this one. I found this from years ago. Eric was just a few years older than that moment. He was playing football at Noblesville West Middle School. We hadn't seen him much, kind of coming and going. One day I'm walking past the island in the kitchen, and there was this note that Dawn had left for Eric. Check this out. Welcome home, son. Our family 
and home have really missed you. We love you and are so glad that you will be home more. Now I think football season was wrapping up. We love you. And I just think about the progression from the little boy we had to coax out underneath the piano to this is my home. I have a place at the table. I'm welcome here. These are my people. This is my family. This is what we're leaning at today, the Father's presence. I love the truth that even from a distance, mom and dad's presence went with him. The same is true of our heavenly Father. Look at this in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. It says this, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, there's our word, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The Father's presence is felt right here at the table. Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about God's provision right there with you. You get this when you receive the Father's presence. You also get this. If you're taking notes, write this down. We receive at the table the Father's promises. We receive the promises of God. I've had a bit of a mind shift the way I think about the Bible. Are you the kind of person that reads the Bible and you're looking for the precepts of God or maybe the principles of God? Or maybe you read the Bible as it's like a book of mystery and you kind of have an arm's distant relationship with God. Or maybe you read it as a history book. You read to see how men have interpreted their relationship with God. Here's the deal. I'm a Bible geek. I got to spend a lot of time years ago hanging out in the shrine of the book in the Israel Museum, hanging out with the Dead Sea Scrolls. I can't even tell you. That was one of my best days, getting to do that and see that and study that. I love the Bible. I love to study the Bible. But here's the deal. Recently... I've been trying to read the Bible through the lens of, well, that video we just experienced together. There are promises from Scripture just for me. Could I challenge you to read the Bible this week relationally? There are challenges just for you. Let's do that right now. In Jewish culture, there was this idea that the words of Scripture are sweet. When you came in today, we tried to hand you one of these honey packets. Do me a favor and grab that and pull it out right now. If you don't have one of these, just raise your hand up in the air. We've got a couple of ushers. They would love to bring you one of these honey packets. Did you know there was such a thing as granulated honey? There is. I didn't know that until this past week. It's kind of cool. It tastes just like honey. Do you give it one of these, kind of shake it like that. I love the sound of that rustling. It's like we're making rain together. That's cool. And tear off the top of that real carefully right now. And now here's where we're going to discover, are you a dipper or a pourer? Here's my strategy. This is the way I like to do it. I like to lick my finger, stick it in there, and then taste it. Mmm. Tastes like honey. There's a passage of Scripture in Psalm there we go, Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. There's this story when Jesus was a little boy and probably for a couple hundred years before that moment. This is how they would, well, introduce kids to Scripture. By the way, those kids learned to memorize the whole Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And when they first started taking in the promises of God, they'd put a little bit of honey on their hands and they'd taste it and maybe smear their hands with honey and kind of let them play. And this was a treat back then. They didn't have sweet tooth the way we think about it, right? They didn't have candy at every street corner. Honey was kind of a, a limited commodity and, 
and they got to see how sweet this is and associate it with the words of God. So right now, I'm going to read some of these promises from Scripture over you. As I do it, maybe every once in a while, you just want to dip in and taste a little bit of that honey. Associate these together. Maybe you grew up in a home where words were yelled at you. Maybe you picture God, when we talk about our Father in heaven, you picture him as the Father whose vein pulses on his forehead because you know what it's like to see an angry Father. Taste some honey. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Maybe you grew up in a home that lacked affection. Maybe you viewed God as a distant father. Well, maybe taste a little bit of honey and listen to this, Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you, a mighty warrior who saves. He'll take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Can you picture it? What parent doesn't coo over their baby? What parent doesn't sing over that newborn child? Could you picture God singing over you? Maybe you grew up in a home with an absent father. And you crave a father that will show up. Revelation chapter 21 verse 3 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling places are now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. God is with you. He's right there. He's with you. He pulls up a seat and says, join me at the table. Maybe you grew up in a home, taste your honey and listen to these words. Maybe you grew up in a home where your parents abandoned you. Psalm 27 verse 10 says, though my father and mother forsake me. This is what's sweet. The Lord will receive me. Some of our stories are about the absence of a parent. Maybe you grew up in a home where you needed your parents to advocate for you, and they didn't. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30 says, The Lord your God, who is going before you, taste that honey, and listen to this, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. Can you picture a father that fights on your behalf? Maybe you grew up in a home where you, you, you experienced separation anxiety. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love is strong for you, and his love for you is sweet. And this should cause us to turn from lives, perhaps that you've, you've believed your entire life, and to turn to the God who loves you to receive. The Bible describes this. Here's the word it uses. Repentance. You ever think about repentance? And we, we think about repentance as being like hardcore, but look at how the Romans chapter 2 talks about this. Why do you presume on the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? As you receive the promises, you change. It calls you to leave lies. It calls you to Repentance. I need to be reminded of this. I need to receive the promises of God. I need to drink it in. By the way, you can do that again. You can receive that over and over again. I told you don't miss the prayer experience. But that video that we just showed a bit ago, you might want to watch that again this week. If you hit our website, go to our website, venturechristian.church/journeyhome. You can you can engage with that video as many times as you'd like to this week and just spend some time soaking it in.
receiving. This is the way that God's love works. It's not a single time receiving, but over and over and over again. We receive at the table. We receive the Father's presence. We receive his promises. And one other thing real quick, we receive his provision. The table. The table imagery is all over the Bible. If you were to read the 23rd Psalm, for example, do you remember this line? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What is that all about? I mean, I get the green pastures part of Psalm 22. I get the, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But here's the deal. In the Old Testament, that time when David wrote the 23rd Psalm, the table, the table was sanctuary. God provided even safety for his people at the table. I mean, you could be fighting with your enemy who you're sworn to kill tomorrow. But today, if you take a a ceasefire and you gather around the table, the custom of the day would, would, would dictate that you can't go at each other's throats around the table. There's safety, there's security, there's provision at the table. Then there's the Passover table. Oh my goodness, you go old school with this image. You go all the way back to Egypt and you find this moment where God's people are slaves after 400 years of abject slavery. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. He does this like nine times, the tenth time. There's the plague of the firstborn. And God's people were to paint something above the doorframe. And the angel of death passed over that house. There's, there's mourning and wailing all through Egypt as all of the firstborn children die, including Pharaoh's son. And every year after that moment, after they escaped from slavery, even to the time that we read about Jesus in the New Testament, they called it the Passover. And once a year, they'd gather together around a table and they'd celebrate God's provision. This imagery is rich because it's from there that we get the Lord's Supper. It's from there that we get the moment of communion that we're getting ready to celebrate here in just a few minutes. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. These are the words that Jesus shares with his disciple. He took, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he said to them, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They did it around the table. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out. For you. Let's put that up again. This time with some bold language. Do you see the word for you? He did this for you. Oh, yeah, he did it for his disciples, but he also did it for you. He did it for me. God's provision happens around the table. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We're going to do that right now. We're going to sing, and then we're going to spend some time gathered together around the table. And we want to receive. We want to lean in to the opportunity to receive. Remember gotcha day I was telling you about just a bit ago? This is a moment for a gotcha day. Are you a rebellious kid? (laughs) You've been chosen by God. Are you a rule-following kid? Hear me, you've been chosen by God. Are you a faith-filled or maybe a doubt-filled kid? You've been chosen by God. And you've been provided for by Jesus. Why don't you stand up with me right now? Welcome home.